Siempre es fútbol en Philadelphia, and after match day one, your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union uh, are in 10th place, but they are ahead of the defending champions, Atlanta United. So that's the glass half full takeaway from week one. What's up, y'all? Kevin Kincaid here. Baxter is uh, sleeping on the couch, I think. He's downstairs with my wife. Uh, but joining me is Russ Joy from CrossingBroad.com. Russ, who is actually down at the game in a cold, I assume it looked it looked pretty cold and pretty chilly and pretty miserable down there, but you were down there nonetheless. How was it? Was it everything and more? Antes de empezar, gracias por invitarme en este episodio de su programa Es Siempre Fútbol en Filadelfia. Yeah, yeah, and that'll do it for the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Gracias a todos. Buenas noches. Buenas noches. All right. Um, yeah, it was it was really cold. It was uh, that would be a, a nice way to put it. It was it was very cold. And uh, what were uh, what were your impressions of the? Uh, you get a nice open air press box. Uh, you can hear everything going on. You get free food. Uh, you get access to pretty much everybody. It's it's a nice setup, is it not? Do I compare this to like the to the Lincoln Wells Fargo? I mean, it it, it was it was neat. Like, I mean. You know, I'm used to open air at a Wells Fargo Center down there covering mm-hmm. the Flyers. Uh, except, you know, it's it's also indoors. There's no uh, no yeah. real elements. It is cold. It's hockey after all. And ice is cold. Um, no, it was nice. The spread was was also pretty darn pretty darn lovely. There was a space heater at my feet, um, and then somebody from the second row of press row decided that they were going to go down and turn it, and uh, made me really sad. It's my they had a space heater for you. Yeah, I mean, it was a space heater in between. Uh, I don't know, there was like a pillar and there were like four of us and then another four and it was in between, it was turned sideways, like it was supposed to kind of heat towards both rows of us, but then yeah. a second row went down there and I guess they thought by turning it the direction it was going to somehow, I know heat rises, but like it's not going to go through a wall. <laughs> That's so, very uh, true. I think, I think nobody got to, uh, to benefit from that. It was fine though, it was... Tell you what, that it's a good view from press row. So that was it is because uh, you're nice. kind of you're almost straight on. Yeah, yep. I mean, so that's nice. There, I know when they put the guys in the corners, like there's that column there, and sometimes they got to crane their neck to see what's going on, on you know corner kicks or set pieces or stuff like that. Who did they? Uh, who did they put you next to down there? I was next to uh, Philadelphia Union's Adam Kahn. Oh, Adam Kahn, a, uh, a former guest of the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program, um, a guy who is very very knowledgeable about the sport um did you talk to him during the game did you pick his brain at all did you um did he tell you what he was seeing on the pitch i wanted to but he was so busy going back and forth it looked like he was uh controlling i guess a lot of the digital medium for the team so yeah he was in and out a lot up and down a lot headphones on headphones off i kind of figured anything i would say to him would just be a would be a distraction it it wasn't wasn't really my jam for sure and there was nobody to my other side so you know it's it was me on an island with nobody to talk to, and you know how so, I feel about that. <laughs> so I was uh, at an all-day baby class, mm. and uh, we took a lunch break at like one o'clock, I think. So I <laughs> or like twelve thirty. So I saw like five minutes of the game at, at Penn Medicine, and then I was just sort of like saw a couple of clips on, on my phone, but I didn't get to actually watch the full replay of the game until today, this afternoon, after I got back from Sixers, like 48 hours later, I finally saw it. Did anybody uh, tell you how your life is going to change and never be the same at the baby class? Did they, they happen to do that? Did anybody <laughs> tell you about the lack of sleep that's on its way? No, about how some you're going to have no time for yourself? Slack no? chat have been uh, quick to remind me of that. Oh yeah. I got to say just for, uh, just to 
set the record straight here. The next person who tells me that my life is about to change <laughs> or that I'm about to lose a lot of sleep gets knocked out cold. Cause it's oh, just like, right. I, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I understand that. I'm glad that people are like kind of, uh, trying to warn you, tell you what's coming up, but it's like, like you don't like you, I don't, like, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Yeah, I know. I know my life's going to change. I know I'm not going to get as much sleep, but it's like, how about people just say like, Hey, congratulations. You know, you're having a kid. Congratulations. No, they can't do that. That's, that's just too <laughs> it's easy. Just the same damn, it's the same damn thing over and over and over again. I'm not even bothered of, of the content matter of what people are telling me. I'm not, I'm not like offended that they're telling me that I'm not going to get a lot of sleep, but like, it's just the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I'm like, yes, I know. Like, you know, but I, you know, I will not be the first person to raise a, a child. <laughs> many, many people have, have done it successfully before. So I think we'll be, we'll be a okay. But anyway, yeah. so that's what, and I didn't get to watch it yesterday cause I, I threw my wife a uh, surprise baby shower. So yeah, 48 hours later, I finally actually got to watch the game itself. Honestly, well, that, man, that's going to get you ready for being a parent when uh, you never get to really sit down and enjoy your programs yourself, Kevin, you know, yeah. the, uh, the child becomes the number one priority in your life. And it's the yeah. only thing that you're ever going to be able to, uh, to focus yeah. on for the well, next surprisingly, 18 I to 22 of... years until that sucker either lives in the basement or moves yeah. out on the road. I'm their not going to do anything for the next 18 years. You know, my life is just, I'm just going to have no life at all. I went to some brewery. I went to Tonewood brewery, like on the way back from the uh, Portland and Sixers game the other week. And there was Are like, they sponsoring the pod. No, but maybe. What are you giving them a shout out for? What are you doing? I always shout out. You lost all leverage. Come on, man. Um, Oh, fuck leverage. I always, (laughs) uh, I I just try to stop there and meet up with a friend. And there's like 10 moms with babies in there. There's like strollers shoved into corners and folded up or whatever. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I thought you weren't supposed to have a life, man. I thought you couldn't have a life. I thought you couldn't do anything with the kid. I thought you just had to stay inside and, you know, catch up on sleep and, uh, you know, help your wife. I mean, God, it looked like they were having a life, you know? I'll tell you what, man. Those are the best places to go. Breweries, uh, get your kids set on alcohol early. I think is is that what the purpose is? No, no, it's not. <laughs> it is it is really nice though. I mean, there are a lot of uh, a lot of places that set up games for the kids, and and you can just kind of let them run free with the other kids and hope they don't kill each other. It's good. Yeah. It's really right. good. Well, let's get it back anyway. to the union. Um, yeah. as they say on 94 they're, WIP. They're kind of our children, aren't they? Let's get it back to the union. Ten, um, ten years. Yeah. So I just wrote down like some bullet point notes watching the game straight through. And what I'm going to do is this is going to be a really complicated exercise. I'm just going to read straight through them, and then you're going to bounce ideas off of me, and I'm going to bounce ideas off of you, all right? Okay. Um, starting lineup and the game to 18. Uh, la, 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 la. No Mbizo. Uh, Elliot over McKenzie uh, and no Jones in the 18. Did uh, Jim say anything specifically about any of those things after the game? Not that I uh, recall off the top of my head. Okay, was McKenzie dealing with a little bit of something? I think that was part of what was going into it. Yeah, like a knee or something that he was dealing with. Okay, so that's why Elliot. for the most part, like Elliot and Trusty, I think had a had a pretty solid game. Yeah, Um, the first Michael Bradley goal notwithstanding that was just a, a slip in behind uh i'm trying to remember off the top of my head well I think it was b- between yeah, uh yeah but i mean yeah, well we can uh, talk about Medunian, that. yeah Medunian put a put the best uh marisa do impersonation he could hmm. that that great defensive midfielder who uh loses track doesn't communicate with his his backs and uh what's yeah, the guy going yeah. for an untouched on mark goal anyway Derek jones i mean if this point if he's not even going to be in the 18 then why is he on the team um you know, flipping for something. I, 
I understand playing El Sino there, and I, th- I thought El Sino was pretty good offensively. He brings a lot to the attack. But, you know, when you're already playing with two strikers and you have Fabian, who's not going to be asked to do a lot of defending in this shape, you know, El Sino is going to be – there's going to be more defensive duties asked of him. So I'd like to see a little bit more. I mean, I can't I can't take 90 minutes and, and say whether he can definitely do it or he can't do it. But, um, yeah, it was an attack-heavy lineup. Um which I found interesting. Gaddis, though, I look at Ray Gaddis in the starting lineup again, and I'm just like, you know, he could have had Keegan Rosenberry there at four years younger um, for the same amount of money. Um, and I don't know. Those are just like kind of head scratchers to me. I, it's, it just sort of seems like, you know, if Mbiza was good enough to start a game last year, then why is he not good enough to start the season opener this year? You you made the statement when you traded Keegan Rosenberry that you're ready to move on from him, and Mbizo was the guy. And if he's not ready on day one, then he's not. Then he, he you should have kept uh, Rosenberry around. Yeah, I mean, I'm I was, I'm not gonna fake as if I had uh, watched every game leading up to uh, to the opener, but I I thought that he had uh, he had carried a knock a couple weeks ago, so maybe that was a little bit of it. But yeah, yeah, I I don't know, man. Like you you look at this and. And like Kai Wagner, I thought actually had a pretty solid game. I thought so too. Um, yeah. But Ray Ray Gaddis, you know, Mister uh, Mister Philadelphia Union himself, he doesn't really give you much. Uh, he gives you nothing in the final third. He doesn't really give you any kind of uh, confidence going forward in the attack. He doesn't yeah. really do too much defensively that that makes you uh, uh, you know want to put him in as a shutdown guy. So I mean, he's just a body out there. And Russ, here's the deal: yeah. Kai yeah. Wagner in 90 minutes uh, as a Philadelphia Union player. Uh, put in a better cross than I've seen Ray Gaddis play since 2012. I agree. You know? Yeah. I mean, and defensively, I mean, you can say Wagner, yeah, on the last goal, whatever. They're pushing, they're playing three at the back, and he's yeah, has they, the mistake that leads to the goal. But I'm not, I, don't, I wouldn't even really like put too much into that at the end of the game since they're pushing and chasing and whatnot. But I mean, I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. He put a couple good balls in the box. Um, positionally I thought he was okay you know I don't I don't I didn't see anything I didn't see anything that made me want to write down any notes that said hey he was this or he was that like for the most part I thought he was pretty steady there was a really there was a a pretty decent chemistry going on between he and trusty especially um in their own third and that defensive third there were plenty of times that um you know Wagner would kind of get himself in and out of trouble trusty would would break over and um, kind of mitigate the damage, but mm-hmm. they they had good communication going between them. The thing that I thought was interesting about Wagner, maybe more than anything, was he showed a, a pretty decent ability within a tight window to get the ball to his left foot. And and I mean that whole first half when I mean realistically the Union dominated, let's say forty two and a half of the forty five minutes. Yeah, um, a, a lot of deep balls and straight runs, which yeah. I don't like. Straight balls to straight runs, I don't like. It's stupid. You should play a an angled ball to a straight run, whatever. Um, when I looked at it, it's like Wagner, I think six times in the first half found, uh, um, Fafa Pico up the, up the pitch who, yeah. I mean, Fafa, if nothing else, did a great job of, uh, of leaving Laurent Simon in his, uh, in his wake. They I did mean, it, spring it him was, a couple times. Yeah. It was just, yeah. and, and it actually got kind of sad after a while, uh, watching Simon just get brutalized but here's the here's the real issue and and this i think is one of those things that you've got to get figured out if you're jim Curtin. it's fafa pico is a fast guy his first touch sucks and his finishing is questionable at best and so if the if the idea here in this new 442 is going to be to get pico out in space he's not uh, he has not shown me over the course of his time in the with the union that he can deliver a, a decent enough cross to a back post where you need it 
Um, yeah. And he has questionable decision making in that final third where it seems like he runs himself into trouble. He he'll burn someone and then it's like, as if he panics. Well, it's and a he final needs ball. To, and, yeah. yeah and and he, ball, yeah. he needs to like load up that right foot. And, and that to me, I think, is where there's a bigger issue. He had one nice cross into Corey Burke uh, where I think it was Mavinga came over and, and sliced it out before Corey could get a foot on it, which, which I thought was nice. But uh, and then Pico, then I think in the second half or was it in the end of the first half where Ilcino kind of teed that one up and he just flapped at it and, and totally uh, fluffed it from like four yards out. Yeah, those are the things that kill you with Fafa because like he's legitimately a double digit goal scorer if he shows his best tendencies in the box. But the other day he looked more like Fabian Castillo before Castillo started scoring goals when he was a speed burner on the flanks in Dallas, but he never had any any polish to him. I think that's probably what killed him the most in this game. Because I don't I don't think I really don't think the unit even played that badly. Um I think they played really well between the boxes and then when I think it when it came to in Toronto's box and their own box, I think that's where the mistakes were. Um let me go back down in order here. The, uh, the long balls, you know, they did play a bunch of long balls, direct balls in the in the first half, and I heard some people griping about that. Um, you know, in this case, I don't really mind that because when Toronto was playing a back three, you know, when those outside backs, those wing backs, if they're playing like that sort of three four one two ish or whatever, whatever it kind of was, a three four three something looking something, you know, th- that's that's a way to attack that. You know, you can always chunk those balls in behind the right center back or the left center back, and that's always a weak spot in that formation. You know, because you get them trending backwards, and then you got to pull the uh, the the strong side wing back has to has to come back when you have two strikers there you know you use a good chance that you're going to get burke or pico in there um to kind of latch onto those and they can get bodies forward so i I was okay with them i I, with those long balls i know that people want to see you know you got this brand new formation you're playing two strikers let's keep the ball on the ground and see what we can do but that's not the worst way to attack what toronto is doing you know if you're if you're playing another team that's playing for a four-man back line i would have said like let's you know Please don't do that. Knock it off. But in this case, I thought I thought because they were playing back three, it was all right. I think we saw the Union do one thing that I'm. I think we're pretty used to seeing at this point. It's something that I asked Jim about after the game, and and it's the team has this propensity for going to something that's effective once and then not getting off it. So I didn't ask him about that specifically. It was mm-hmm. about corners, like first half corners. I think it was the first one that got delivered short to Ali Bedoya. It was a good flick on to the far post. It, he hit it with pace. And, you know, it, it brought a, a good chance. It was a decent scoring opportunity for the team. The next four or five they did that they ran towards Ali at that short post, yeah. very few of them were in effect, or were effective. And so at, at some point you, you have to hope that the team's going to diversify or differentiate what their, their tactic is going forward. That's where I thought, like, Fafa on that, that deep ball. I mean, it really was good old-fashioned Schuylkill County dump and run. <laughs> and, you know, to is some extent Is that what like they that, play up there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean... Some some schools did, uh, of course. Yeah. The Pottsville Crimson Tide did oh, no such God, thing. We yeah. were all about possession. You know, we were we were tiki taka before uh, you know Barcelona ever <laughs> yeah, ever thought of it. You I know, bet. they yeah. they could have tiki Marsala for all I care. Anyway, uh, <laughs> look, I thought I thought that was one thing that was a little bit frustrating was the the field seemed to lean so much to the left side early. Now, of course, they did adjust that at halftime, um, and by the end, like if you look at at the percentages of of where they were. Um, they ended up being more right side dominant towards the end, but yeah. um, I, I don't know, man. Like I, I think you realize something's working with Fafa, but the the service in wasn't good enough, and you weren't making the most in the final third. You're getting there, which is something the Union have struggled with in yeah. the past. Yeah, you're dominating play, but you come out of that first half with nothing, and and I think that's ultimately the thing that was frustrating about it. It was it was like new formation, new players, same Union. There there were things 
within this formation that I thought were a little bit wonky. It's going to take some time to get figured out. Yeah. Ilsenio, Ilsenio, Fabian, and um, Corey Burke on many occasions were within two, three yards of each other going for yeah. the same ball. Yeah. It was just this weird collapsing. There was no width on the pitch. And, like, ultimately, that's, you know, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. That's, They'll get it figured out. That was but. interesting. Yeah. You know, to the corners real quick. So they had Madunin and, and Fabian swapping them so that they were hitting in swingers from each side, you know, which I think if you ask anybody – like <laughs> I've I only ever go into the box for corner kicks anyway in the other half of the game I just put out fires as a center back but I think you ask any center back or anybody who goes up in the box for corner kicks I think you'd rather attack an in swinger than an out swinger because um, it's just you it's more about guiding the ball versus getting a forceful contact on it and I always felt like it was easier to head down off of in swingers where I felt like when I got out swingers it was harder for me to angle the ball down because I had to put more on it uh, since, yeah, the, since the since the direction was like coming at me instead of coming away from me, um, but yeah, but it's interesting having Bedoya on that near post there. It's funny because you wouldn't expect him to be a guy who can flick the ball on as like a sort of glue guy midfielder, but he's kind of good. He's he's sneakily pretty good in the air, um, or as far and not not necessarily like he wouldn't be a guy who jumps up and attacks a ball, but he's very good at kind of flicking on and um, you know positioning himself to get to the ball. Um, where do I want to go next? Yeah, Medunia. So on both Bradley goals. So Michael Bradley scored zero goals last year. Um, <laughs> you know, he's a de- defensive midfielder. <laughs> and and to me, that says it all that when I, I, go, I went back and I watched both of those again. And the first goal, Medunian in. Well, actually, Fabian starts on Bradley when he makes the pass. And then he passes him. Well, he, he, he leaves him, obviously, because he's leaving him for the defensive midfielder. And then as the ball gets cycled wide, uh, there's a rotation that pulls... Jack Elliott down and Austin Trusty down to try to block the ball off, and Medunian just does just does not follow his guy in. Um, it's really as simple as that. There's really not much more of an explanation. You could say that Ray Gaddis like I said, could have got it. Like I said, it's a special. Honestly, you could say I swear, that Ray, the, yeah. the year the year that I had season tickets in the River End, three rows up behind the goal. I swear, I wish I had just recorded every time I would do lost track of a guy. It was it was one of the most perplexing things. It was it was just. Incredibly frustrating to watch a guy watch his man blow by, not communicate to the center back he was coming, and then and, put and his like, hands up as if, as if to say get, like, yeah, "What are you doing?" When, when you yeah. can't, you can't pass off a guy to a center back who's already marking somebody. You are the defensive midfielder. It's like, <laughs> like watching LeBron James yell at uh, <laughs> yell at Kyle Kuzma now after LeBron he, uh, stands to, like, there and lets somebody up. run right yep. by. Yeah, it's just it's infuriating, and like I, I get it, and part of the part of the reasoning you were going to play this way was that you hopefully had helped to mitigate Harris's defensive liabilities but I saw Bedoya pushed way up on the field a lot of times sometimes he was all the way over on the other side of the field um yep. Senior is not going to be a guy who puts out fires transitionally so if you're going to play this way you got to collapse those those wing quote-unquote wingers a little bit more instead of allowing them to push forward and Marco Fabian coming back to receive the ball because your deepest two guys are Fabian and Medunian in before your back line, you know? Um, the second one, it wasn't as bad because it was a set piece and they were kind of trying to clear their lines and the ball got, and they couldn't get the ball out and they tried to, and Toronto recycled the ball back to the left. And Harris was, was originally on the set piece. He was assigned to the near post. So he wasn't marking anybody. But in that case, when you push out and you clear lines, when I'm, when I'm the center back, I'm saying, push, 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 let's step it out. You got to just turn your head and find somebody, anybody. You know, yep. there's no there's no assignment there because you're scrambling and you're just trying to clear. 
But when you're pushing your lines out, you just got to get your head turned. And the crazy thing was I watched it like five times in a row. Madunian turned his head, and then he just stood there and watched Bradley jump on the rebound. It was a bad rebound from Andre anyway, but those are kind of hard to to deal with. But, I mean, it just it's a killer when you're a center back and you're just watching your defensive midfielder hanging out to dry like that. And they're never going to say anything to him because he's the, he's the old 33 year old veteran who's always pointing and directing them anyway. And they're the young center backs that are looking for guidance, you know? And it wasn't only that like he had let him run in behind him. It's if you go back and watch that play, the shot gets ripped from the left side, that rebound comes out and Harris, instead of even running towards the ball, I mean, he's, he's in no position to even make a, a play on it. Yeah. But he's like a solid eight yards away to the left of, of where Michael Bradley ends up. And if you right? pause and like, it. And he's just, you, he's, he pauses, yeah. he freezes, realizes he can't get there, stands still, stationary next to Ilsenio. And it's like, well, what exactly did you expect to happen? Yeah, it, it sucks. But I like, know, I know. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the the, uh, the freeze frame of it right now, and it's just like, it looks like Ronaldo's getting ready to set up for a, uh, a free kick from 25 well, out. Like like three, he's, and there was like the three pose. Toronto dudes on that side, too, who were all like unmarked. Um, because yep. I think a bunch of Union guys scrambled and tried to get back to the line to to yeah. block the, the that shot from going in. But Wagner's on the line, trusty. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, three of the four backs. Uh, I can't make out who... Oh, there's Gaddis. Gaddis is uh, it's just inside the well, eight. They had an yeah, improper... it's, Bradley, it's Bradley and three other dudes. Those I are mean, hard. You can draw a little trapezoid around them, and they're all unmarked. <laughs> well, <laughs> seriously, they had, it's wild. And, and that, too, it's it's one thing to try to... Re, you know, you, you talk... This is kind of an underrated part of soccer is is resetting off of set pieces and it can be your own set piece or it can be defending a set piece and in that case they tried to clear lines they couldn't and then they didn't pick up marks trying to trying to clear defensively they had you remember the fast break that Hamilton had in the first half where Gaddis and Wagner were both chasing him so in that case they got caught with both of the center backs pushed up and then the union tried to recycle the ball back to put it back in but at some point as as a center back you have to say this ball ain't coming back into the box you know so I'm going to get my butts back and I'm going to start jogging back, right? Yep. But Ray Gaddis and, and Wagner had played a pass in, in the cycle to try to get it back, and Gaddis was not far enough back uh, to be the outlet because there's nobody else back there. Your center backs are pushed forward on the on the set piece. So Ga- Ray, Ray's smart enough and has been around long enough to know, just stand your ass at the at midfield you know, and don't let anybody behind you. That's really your only job number one on the set piece, but also when it gets recycled. So those were two times there where they were trying to recycle off the set pieces, one offensive and one defensive where they just didn't, they just did not have the right assignments, you know? Yep. Um, what else did I write down here? Michael Bradley, <laughs> Michael Bradley's bullshit with the ref. Like he represents everything that's wrong with us just, soccer. I know he plays for Toronto. <laughs> Blame Canada. I swear. Mike, I've said this before. Phil and I have said this, uh, I don't know, the last time we recorded Crossing Broad FC, but like the last time we did and the men's national team came up, Michael Bradley's just everything that's wrong with U.S. soccer. It's just the embellishment that went on in that game by Toronto alone and then watching Michael Bradley on at least four different occasions in the second half give the ref an earful should have been shown a yellow. I mean, they're... And at that point, he'd already earned his first. So it's like at some point, as yeah. a ref, you've got to you've got to stand your ground, and enough's enough. Yeah, Nemus Agafi is not a. <laughs> he lost control of this match. I mean, now if nothing else, I think he made Mark Clattenburg proud. But like, it was not 
Not a good showing by the officials. High so. bar uh, for that yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just, I like, I get the first Bradley tackle. I think, I think Bradley just started his slide late, which made the first one that was not a yellow card look bad. But like, you know, Harris Madunian says the same shit to the ref, and he'll get carded. Um, like we saw in the Atlanta game last year, Bradley can say whatever he wants to say to the ref, and it's no, you know, this is, the problem is that they get influenced by. And Michael Bradley's not stupid, man. It's gamesmanship. He's smart. He knows what the limits are of what he can do and what he can't do. But Sagafi on the on the handball, like I, I get that that's a bang bang play. This uh, the one I'm talking about with the, that Wagner was called for. Um, yeah. That's a bang bang play. I get it. Those are the hardest things to call. But he had a good. His arm's not in an unat. Yeah, but his arm's not in an unnatural position when you're going to ground like that. No, I know, but you know, he was, like it, I'm saying he was close out, enough that he should have been able. To, he he his angle was from the backside, so if anything, he should have been able to see it hit 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 the back of his shoulder or like his side or wherever it did hit. Yeah. Um, but you know, if we're not going to video replay or we're not you know looking at the at the goal line for the ball that Saman cleared off the line then what the fuck do we have all this fancy technology for in the first place? No, I agree. Like anything that's borderline questionable, I, th- I, th- I personally think should be reviewed. It, well, takes, like two, about- it takes like two minutes. It's not going to slow the game up. I mean, you have enough BS that's slowing the game up as it is with, with the, you know, a Bradley tackle and mouthing off at the ref is going to, and trying to separate those guys is going to burn as much time as doing like a VAR, you know? Yeah. Like how long would it have really taken to look at that? It was the 76 minute where, um, uh, I think it was Fabian was the one that put the ball uh, just in past the keeper. It looked like he got to the goal line. I think yeah, on, him and on review, both, it, both attacked it, out at the same time. It was hard yeah, to kind it, of see who got the who got the foot on it or whatever. But it didn't look like it fully broke the goal line. Fine, whatever. I get it. Um, but yeah, like thirty seconds to look at it. If you're doing the right thing and and you know your VAR official has full access to what he needs to, then like it, it's not a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal. And at that point, that's a game tying goal with. 15 minutes left in the game yeah. and and you know it's a it's a brand new ball game it doesn't take much i know that we shouldn't have this i know that it, it's probably a bad idea but like there's almost a time where i wish we could have a coach's challenge and i know that would just mess everything up even more yeah. but you know like even in hockey like that was the the big fear was that it was going to slow the game down like the nfl but it's like no i mean if you do it and you do it right then it's fine and like if you're jim Curtin yeah, in that situation yeah. you've got three of your guys running off like i get that against the run of play you might not want to allow it then but then let the game continue, and then when there's a stoppage, then go back and, and allow yeah, them to challenge. I just more you know than, what I mean? More like, than I don't anything, get like on the most simple explanation I can think of, it's like we have this technology. You know, we are blessed to have technology that we did not have uh, a couple years ago. You know, so why not use it? You know, I just like to see them expand the terms under which they can use it, um, and give jurisdiction not necessarily to the VAR ref, but to the 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 ref on the field to just say like, look, let's slow it down. Let's take a look at this thing. Even at the lowest levels of youth soccer, when I was a referee, if I wasn't clear on something, but if I had an idea of what I wanted to call, but I wasn't totally clear, I just blow the whistle and I just walk over to the assistant ref and I'd say, Hey, what did you see? Did you see anything? You know, I mean, I didn't have access to all this fancy shit, but you know, you can take your a time show of and- humility, rarely seen. Uh, in a youth league referee. So let me go through the rest of these uh, bullets that I wrote down here. Uh, Madunian, and there's one sequence where he took a corner. Uh, it bounced back out to him. And instead of just like blasting the ball back into the box, he laid it off for Ray Gaddis for some reason. I don't understand that. Uh, the field didn't look great from all, all on TV. Uh, did it look beat up from up there in the press box? Uh, not like mid-season form, but it, it certainly wasn't what you would yeah, expect. Yeah, I don't think on the, the, on the, the women's day. games from earlier in the week really helped you know 
Um, Who played? U.S. played Japan. Was that the, uh, Somebody the else. She, Belie- she Believes Cup? She Believes yeah. Cup. Yeah. I'll make sure I follow uh, John Tannewald for all the Yeah, he'll have the all the updates on that, on that, John. Tommy Smith, I like. I everybody, I think everybody on the podcast knows I'm not Tommy's biggest fan um, because I, I just don't think he offers much ex- ex- explaining to me what's going on tactically on the field. You know, you know his to, bathroom breakdown was awesome. His bathroom breakdown? Yeah, I'm standing, I'm standing, taking a leak, and I hear Tommy Smith come in behind me, and and uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, it, was a, it was a great little moment. <laughs> I don't know. No, never mind. That was going to be more like a Ray Hudson. I used to I'll, bump I'll into J, uh, JP in the in the bathroom too. I mean, there's only like one. There's it's one bathroom upstairs with like two urinals and a toilet. So obviously, there <laughs> you, you can't avoid anybody if you go in there. Um, I mean, Tommy, I just like I wish he'd just give me a little bit. More. I wish he'd just pay attention a little bit more, do a little bit more prep. To know, I just like, can't believe the way that Harris it. went out there and he he flailed around like a man who didn't know what he was doing with the ball. And <laughs> well, that was that. That was about the end of that. And I remember back in uh, 70, 77, there was a man, his name was Harris, and he was great. He was an absolutely lovely player. Top quality. Sorry, I'm done. Uh, one forward has to come high. I, I felt like they were both playing. I felt like Corey Burke and Fafa Pico were kind of both wanting to just play back shoulder there, you know? Um, yeah. One of them's going to have to come off, and you'd think that they're both kind of different, differently built players. Like, you, you'd think that those skill sets would kind of mesh because you'd think that one guy would come high to receive, one guy would stay back. I, I, but it didn't really seem like it looked like they looked like guys who had never played in a two striker system before. Um, the Sergio Santos foul, I mean, it was not a red card. Of course, it was not a red card. I mean, he wasn't looking at the ball, so it wasn't, and that's what made it look worse. I think that's why um, Toronto was complaining about it. But he, I thought he attacked the ball really nicely. He had a nice late run on the, on that ball. It was cleared off the line. Uh, later in the game, he had a nice like one touch where he turned and put it on his left foot. Um, and tried to blast across into the box. I think got cut out, but you'd like never see CJ Sapong take a ball one touch and get it on his left foot and, you know, or, or get it on his right foot or strong foot and, and turn and face, you know. Um, and the last note here was, oh, it's about Wagner. So yeah, that's what I wrote down. I wrote down like 13 notes or something, but I don't know, man. I, I, I honestly did not think that they played all awful. You know, I think they played well between the boxes, and then they had a couple breakdowns, those two resets I was talking about, and then, you know, Madunian and just falling asleep a couple of times. I thought Marco Fabian looked good. Um, I mean, he's obviously you can see his quality, man. I thought Bedoya was fine. I'd like to look more at his heat map and see where he was moving around the field. Um, I just don't know. I mean, I mean, some people were talking about playing Madunian in somewhere else in the diamond. Maybe that's a, a thing, but. Where the hell are you going to play him? I don't know, play him on the left or something. He would be more inclined to just hang back then, but that then just looks like a 4 How much ground is he really going to cover on the left? Not enough, but, you know, it's funny, man. Like, I like him when he's up, when he's further up. Normally when he's further up, it's when they have possession and he's able to push up and still be the last guy. I'm not saying you could play him as a number 10 and he would work well in tight spaces, but he's a good passer further up the field, so. So maybe you overload it. I mean, you're not going to be able to... to um shade Wagner over more central but you could go with a with an overload that pushes him up and it, it pushes your forwards over a little bit and yeah. just kind of give him a more advanced place uh you know starting neutrally to to allow him to get forward I mean maybe that that could lead to you getting better service and then you don't have to rely as much on Fafa like maybe you can just kind of let Fafa free reign around the center and yeah and uh you know work on some underlaps behind him but I, I don't know it's I think there were certain things that you take away from the game that you're excited about. I I was uh, honestly disappointed 
that Santos didn't get the start. I know that people like Corey Burke. I get it because um, yeah. he's not CJ. I thought his but knee like, was good enough for a start, but I guess not. So, I maybe that's what it was. I mean, I talked to Santos weather, after shitty weather. Yeah, yeah. yeah you talked I mean, to him after the game. Just, I did. I did, which was fun because uh, uh, I forget the guy's name. I should know his name uh, from the union. Uh, credential guy nice ryan yeah Schwepp, ryan, ryan yeah, Schwepp, Schwepp, yeah. yeah um i was like hey you know this is uh is santos available to talk and he's like oh yeah he doesn't speak much english i was like oh that's cool i got this covered good old espanol yeah man so, uh, it comes in handy does it not yeah man i got to speak uh spanish with santos and german with wagner so like life was good um santos though interestingly what's, compared to uh, your german or your spanish my spanish is a lot okay. better now there was a time where my German was excellent, and now it's like it's not like it's bad. It's just you know, there's certain things I forget. I I've gone down the rabbit hole with Spanish so much that uh you know I'm I'm in all the dialects and everything. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's fascinating. Anyway, um, Santos did say that the the American game today was a lot more physical than in the Chilean league. Yeah. Um, he and Wagner both talked about the speed of the game, um, and and just getting acclimated to the way that things were playing. And I you know I think Wagner was more talking about the the speed that you need to play with in this 442 and the way that mm-hmm. um you know Ernst wants to see it implemented and, and Jim is trying to put it into play and uh Santos I I think is going to find his footing and I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be really yeah, good. I just yeah. I was disappointed that we didn't see more of him. Um I think Corey Burke, you know what you're getting and and Fafa like I said, I would almost rather see them play Fafa at at um instead of being a forward, put him out on the left and and let him do his thing. Um, well, that's I've heard people say that. I just, you know, again, I think you're getting the same thing with Elsino. That I mean, when you play them as these quote as these like shuttlers, they're not really wingers, right? But when you play them as shuttlers next to Medunian, do they do they give you enough defensively um, to make the shape work? You know what I mean? Um, I think if you told Fafa he's going to get 45 minutes, whether it's the start of the second half, so put the afterburners on early, knowing that he's not going to be expected to go 70, then yeah, I think defensively maybe you do get more out of him. Like If they were going to just go with a straight-up rotation of having Fafa and Akam be burners on the outside, right, and like have, have them almost in a platoon situation, like you know maybe it's not perfect, but I, I don't think that Fafa gives you enough in that final third finishing. I just don't. I think if you do it. that, I, I think if you would do something like like a like Pico on the left and like Bedoya on the right or a Com on the left and Bedoya on the right. I think then you can't play with Medunid in as your as your six. Cause I just don't think you get enough defensively out of that to to warrant putting these like wingers in shuttler positions, you know? Yep. It's just hard it's it's hard for me to say after one game you know i'll read what i'll read what adam writes because i'm sure he has like something really good on it up on the the i just think harris is going to be a really hard fit for this team like i i think he and like he ultimately is kind of the guy that you know has raw skill like i don't want to compare him to (laughs) this is going to be bad i don't want to compare him to like markel fultz um because he's actually playing it doesn't have a fake injury but like (laughs) in theory when the sixers were trying to fit markel fultz into the starting lineup in the beginning of the year it was like you know that on his on like on the surface you know that like this guy has a, a unique skill set and like maybe it could work but you don't think it can mesh with with this team maybe Jimmy Butler would be a better comparison where it's like pick and roll guy in a motion offense like you have to see if you can figure out a way to to hide well, some yeah, of his, yeah we all his, knew that, that you know, Mark was probably was probably a better ball was probably better as a backup point guard than like a starting off guard off, off, off ball, ball guard, guard you know? yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And, I get that. Yeah. And so it's like Harris, like I think Harris has a lot like has a decent skill set. It's just it feels like so much of what you might have to build this team around in this system going forward 
is going to have to hide a lot of his deficiencies. And I don't know how you can do it. Like, like who are you going to put there? Well, that's what that's because a problem. Because obviously go, they, they don't think Derek Jones is going to be that guy. So, like, who I plays know, the six? I, know. I, I, don't, I don't know if they have a six. Like, we know Warren Craval wins the ball, but he doesn't pass. And, or he doesn't pass that well. And, and, Warren Craval can't start and the Har- team. No, he can't. I, I don't think you can – I don't think you can – I don't think the idea was coming into this season to have Ray Gaddis and Warren Craval in starting positions. You gotta gotta move on from that. I don't know if Der- I mean obviously they're down on Derek Jones. So who the hell else do you have to to play if you're if you're gonna play single pivot in a diamond? You know what's Brian Carroll up to? He would have been perfect for this situ- <laughs> for this system. He would have played played it like Beckerman. Yeah. Well, let me. Okay, so let me get in the questions because people were asking about that. Um, Okay. David Shea, late to the party. Can you touch on my question from this morning about moving to moving Harris to right mid? So, okay. So, what if what if they did? Let me let me throw this at you. Say you had like Warren Carvalho just playing the pivot, playing the the base of the diamond. What if you had Bedoya on the left and Harris on the right, or or those were your shuttlers? What if you had Bedoya and Harris, and then you had Fabian up there? So, what if you had Warren Carvalho at the base of the diamond? Bedoya and Medunian on either side of him, and then Marco Fabian. I don't like it. What? Do, why I, don't you I like think, it? I don't like it because I don't think Warren Craval is a starting quality player on a decent team. Okay, well let me like, let I, me I erase think, this. And like say, I think like, in a late game situation, if you needed to, then fine. Well, this is like, I well, think here's, if you had a legit six, then it would be fine. Okay, so but. let me answer it this way because the question is not about Warren Craval. The question's about Harris Medunian, right? So say you have here's my lineup: capable number six who can tackle and pass, right? Okay. Okay. Madunian on one side, Bedoya on the other side, and then Fabian at the tip. It might not be terrible. I don't know. I, I wonder what Har- what Harris gives you that that you don't think Ilsenio can. Well, that's um, what I'm saying. And they're not going to play. They're going to play the same amount of defense. I mean, Harris is going to be a liability wherever you stick him. So imagine you're the fullback who has Harris Madunian in front of you. You got two guys coming at you on an overlap, and like you know that Harris ain't running back. You know. That's almost a shame that you don't have Rosenberry there well, anymore. That's what, that's he, what he not would, only be would, would I know, I know. He would be absolutely <laughs> perfect. He would yep. be perfect because he's such an attack-minded guy. Like, you put him on, like, Bedoya's side or, like, a Derek Jones side or something, Jones can just hang back and let Keegan run yep. up and down the flank all day. And then you can drop you can drop your strong side su- shuttler, strong side shuttler. <laughs> Try saying that ten times fast. You can drop the strong side shuttler strong side back, shuttler. and they can just sort of hang back and play defense. That's how Sadorf and Gattuso played the position. They never went forward because they didn't have to because they had, like, Cafu bombing up the flank behind them, you know? You had Paolo Maldini on one side. So I, I just don't – it was strange to see the way that, that Bedoya was moving and how high he was playing at times the other day. I mean, if you're going to play single pivot with Madunian and you're just asking to get gashed um, in transition. I'm just trying to think if there's a, a real reason to put Harris there. I don't know who you have defensively that's going to be able to make up for for his lack of getting back. But like, Gaddis is not that guy. I mean, you could you could tell Ray that he's got to be the – the base of the of the defense, yeah. like he's got to be the farthest back. The fullbacks have to. He's just got to play off coverage. They just got to. Like, and I knew this was going to be a problem going into the season with with inexperienced fullbacks with and Mbizo and, and Wagner. Um, you know, they they got to the, the midfielders got to stay tighter to Medunian and just protect him. And then you, your fullbacks got to give you the width, man. I mean, they just got to just got to be a, a lot asked to them, you know, because he wanted to play the shape. Yeah, that's. You know, fullbacks got to do a lot of work in it. All right, Andrew Dillon, um, best flying tackle in a union kit, Sergio Santos or David Myrie? Well, Myrie, <laughs> Myrie only played one game or something like that before he got 
before he got traded. So I will say uh, David Myrie. Uh, Dills, once again, another question here. What's the over-under on the number of times Medunian in points during a game? Oh God, that's uh, another thing that drives me crazy. Because like when you're a, a when half. you're a center, Two when, you, when I'm a center back, like, let me try to explain this. When when you're a center back, like I don't I don't need the f- defensive midfielder to point me, okay? Because I I'm fa- I'm facing forward. I don't have anybody behind me. I can see the field better than you can. Like I I appreciate that Medunian wants to kind of guide these guys and like tell them how how the flow of the ball should move. But Trusty knows where to pass the ball. Because <laughs> he's got better vision, he's got a better cone of vision than Medunian does. You know, he's yep. got one twenty. He's got a one twenty angle looking both ways across the, across the side of the field. He can see everything that Harris can't. But we'll set the number at like eleven or something. You know, um, Richard Saunders. Uh, they mentioned possibly bringing in another guy. Would that be the Dutch midfielder whose name has been floating around, or is it more likely a right back? Uh, do they go stagnant in the transfer window again? Is Santos actually Quincy Ameriqua in disguise? No, I mean we've seen ten minutes of Santos. I don't, I don't know what the hell he is. Uh, do they go stagnant in the transfer window again? I don't know because because Ernst is is a different guy than Ernie, but um, I don't know. If they bring in a number six, it'd be perfect. You know, that solves a lot of the questions we were just asking. You know, um, let's see here. Richard says they switched to a three-five-two in the second half. Uh, yeah, because they brought Gaddis off and they did the Santos sub. Uh, would they be? Which I honestly don't hate. No, I mean I thought honest. it looked okay when they were playing it. Yeah. You've got three. You have three starting caliber center backs. If you really wanted to go with yeah. it, I don't know why you would, but you could um, with Elliot McKenzie and, and Trusty. I just uh, want people to real quick. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like when people are thinking of three-five-two, I always get this like misconception where people are saying, "Why would you play with five defenders?" instead of three but when you're playing really three not. five two you can't the, the wing backs really are not like you can't think of them as defenders like so if you're going to play a formation that has like mark mckenzie jack elliott and austin trussie people saying why are you going to play three center backs when you only have to play two well think of it as playing three defenders instead of four you know because you're making up for yep. that by being able to put an extra midfielder in there so i just want people to think of three five two differently it's not being more defensive by putting another center back on the field you're essentially going from four to three so yeah and again we i think we talked about this in the offseason but like keegan rosenberry would have been an, an excellent i would have uh, been perfect right wing back in a three five two he would have been the quintessential wing back and they decided that he wasn't worth keeping. rick mcgovern says i got nothing okay well, that's not a question, Rick. So you got to get a question. He says, "I mean, seriously, I could complain, but what's the point?" There's the question. Checking in. Uh, we got Union Hulk checking in. Uh, he says, "Just once, sing it loud, <laughs> fa 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 fa, ya 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 ya." And he tagged Yaya Toure there. Um, he wants mm. a free Yaya Toure transfer. Why is he not here? <laughs> 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 and he wants to know where Gio, uh, I guess Giovanni Dos Santos goes next. I don't know, uh, but they, they can't use him here. So uh, Joe says, what the fuck, pitch conditions. It wasn't great. I, it it wasn't looked, as bad as the ice for the stadium series uh, Flyers-Penguins game, <laughs> but it wasn't It wasn't optimal. It looked like chunky on, on TV. I don't know how else to describe that. But when I played at Talon, when I was um, – fortunate enough to play at talent i it was, was kind of like a, a divity i guess 
I would say. Um, Is that the technical term? <laughs> I don't know if there's a technical term for that. But, like, occasionally, like, when you're on a grounds crew, like, I worked on a golf course, and we used to have this, like, machine that would go by, and um, it would do, like, aeration, A-E-R-A-T-I-O-N. And it would just be this machine that, that popped a bunch of, like, holes in the in the field. And so that was supposed to, like, let the grass grow a little bit better, I guess, because, like, you spread out the Helps soil area, or something. Yeah. yeah, I don't really know yeah. the science behind it. But I noticed that there were some of those marks in there when I played. I don't, I don't know if that was the case after the – you know, they got the and they got the snow and the rain and the shit too. So the grounds crew, all told, probably did, you know, as as good a job as they could have done with it. But if Ernie was still here, he would have flipped shit, knowing that the women were playing, uh, on that on that field a couple of days. Women, ago. you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mike says, uh, "Is it too early to start panicking about not having a striker that can consistently finish?" Uh-huh. No, I mean, look, CJ missed a bunch of sitters last year. I, I don't know. That's probably the hardest thing to. I mean, it's a cold, shitty day. They're playing season opener. I don't expect people to be <clears throat> knocking in hat tricks, but you'd want more from from Fafa, especially on that one that, that was played right across the box, and he just like completely whiffed on it. You know? And Corey was standing yeah. right behind him too. I mean, they were both in the same position at the back post there. You know? Yep. Um, Nico, I don't think it's worth getting that upset about. I, I'm serious. I, I really do think that Santos is going to be good for them this yeah, year. Yeah, you know what, dude? Like, I watched I, that game, and after it was done, I was like, okay. Like, I wasn't like. He's a pretty big dude, uh, too. Like, seeing him in the locker room, like. Santos? Uh, you know. Yeah, like, Santos is definitely, like, a guy who uh, is wider than he seems. He's broader in the shoulders. Yeah. He doesn't have, like, weak guy. He he does not forget upper body day, is what I would who's, say. Um, He's, whose uh, man bun was better, his or mine? Um, well, I don't know what I would call yours. So I'm going to go with Santos. I would say that, uh, he was rocking the man bun very we well. We both have different kinds of hair. You go through these, like, these phases with your man bun where it's like, is it a man bun? Then it kind of looks like, uh, um, like a, like a far east man bun. And I don't know if they would call it a man bun. <laughs> you kind of reminded me of the guy. I think his name was a hundred eyes from the Marco Polo show. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. The far east Just, man bun. Like, a, like I'm like the Kung Fu master or something. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to assign album. you a, a martial art without you being able to, you know, pick that yourself. <laughs> it could be your spirit animal or something. Like, I don't want that to be something Brazilian that I'm assigning Jiu-Jitsu. to you. That's what I would pick if yeah, I was in the sure. UFC. That's not in the Far East, but sure, we'll take it. <laughs> um, Apparently Brazil. Brazil is next to China. <laughs> 610. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Barry uh, from Scotland says, uh, it's... Uh, Oh, he's responding to somebody else here. It's not a question. I'm sorry. Oh, um, come on. No, what he does have a question say? down here. He says, is Ray Gaddis going to be effective as a right wing back going forward this season? My answer is no. <laughs> Again, I, I don't... What's dis- his name, I Barry? Don't dis- Barry? Barry's from Scotland, yeah. Um, I, I don't dislike... I don't... I really... I know I gripe about Ray. I don't dislike him as a player. Like, I think last year he turned into a nice little, like, possession fullback who would just sort of sit there right above the halfway line and, and ping the ball around with, with Madunian in, but... He's 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 not he has, he doesn't have an attacking bone in his body, you know. So how are you going to expect to get Is all it, your width from players like that? I, you, it ended up being El Senio and um, you know trying to trying to work one on one in the corners, and you know he had some nice moments up on the right side, but you're not going to get any support from Ray, you know. Uh, is it is it uh, too early for a Game of Thrones reference here? I'll answer back. No, it's never early. Very, yeah. Yeah. Very simply, I think we're, I want to say we're like 30, maybe like 37, no, 41 days out, I think, 
from Game of Thrones. 40 mm-hmm. days. Yeah, just under 41. Um, here, I'll, I'll answer you, Barry. There's only one true right wing back to play on this team, and his name is not Ray Gaddish. His name was Keegan Rosenberry. He was the one true right wing back. Now he's gone. <laughs> Wait, who, who from Game of Thrones are you trying to do there? Sir Davos, you're to do Sir dude. Da- you're Sir D- Davos sounds like Sean Connery. Sound I don't know like what to tell you. <laughs> Maybe they should have made Sean Connery you the sound actor. More like, you sound more like... It sounds like a really good Sean Connery, actually. Listen. Listen here, Kincaid, with your man buns. Keep them to yourself. If I was still James Bond, you'd be... Bunny. <laughs> Sean My Connery little precious hasn't been James Bond since... Uh, Diamonds are forever. He did the first five, and then he skipped on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and then he did the seventh one, I think. Does it kill you when people who are like twenty say, "Oh, Sean Connery was the best James Bond"? They haven't seen it. Yeah, because they don't. Right? They don't. They haven't seen. They saw like Goldfinger or something, and they listened to everybody tell them that Connery was the best Bond, but they never watched the other dudes. So what? They don't have any frame of reference, you know. Like my thing. My thing yeah. with all the James Bond actors is that. If you're trying to sit here and say who was the best James Bond, you're looking you're looking at it the wrong way. Like that's not the question. Like the point of it was like every actor that played the character brought something different to the role, or they played the role in a different way. You know, I mean, like Roger Moore was always seen as kind of goofy and like not as like you know masculine and debonair as as Sean Connery was, but Roger Moore had some like really like slick one-liners and like humorous moments and stuff like that and like every other movie that he did was a banger like live and let die was great and then the man with the golden gun sucked and then like spy who loved me was good and then moonraker sucked pierce brosnan played it a, a decent way he was a good he was a good like a good playboy a good suave looking yeah, dude but he, he was very stiff the idea of him you know running into a uh into a gunfight, I just imagine him going like straight, straight legged, straight planked. Uh, yeah, like Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton was. Poor a form. I don't. I don't see him getting behind uh, behind ground cover very well. Timothy Dalton was a little, a little bit more serious with the role. I think uh, Daniel Craig was more serious with it too. Um, yeah, there's rumors that they have like, like Daniel Craig. I think did a really good job. Remember when he first got cast and everybody was like pissed off that he didn't have yeah. the super dark hair and it's like, oh, you can't do this. He's got blue yeah. eyes. He's supposed to be. Brown hair, brown eyes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Liberals. Well, and that's all. That's like, well, and well, that's all. He did a good job. Stupid, you know. And then there were rumors that they were going to uh, cast Idris Elba to be James Bond, which I think would be cool. Like, I think it'd be I'm interesting. For yeah. First of all, he's a hell of an actor. And people saying like, well, the character's white or whatever. Well, first of all, like I just said, everybody, everybody, all the white guys who played James Bond played him on in different ways anyway. So what the fuck does it matter if you have a black dude or an Asian dude or whatever the fuck dude playing James Bond? I think that's the best part about the characters that everybody, different actors played him in different ways. So why would you not be open to to somebody completely different playing playing a, a typically white British dude? You know, I mean, I'm Catholic. I'm, every depiction of Jesus I've ever seen is him as a white guy. But like, I'm pretty sure that in the Middle East he probably didn't look like a, <laughs> like a uh, well. There you go. That's know, like... <laughs> a pasty a pasty white guy. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, okay. Anyway, moving you know, on might... from the James the James Bond discussion, <laughs> it was a good one though. If I did a James Bond podcast, I would, I would keep going. Um, Let's just expand the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Welcome <laughs> in Double O Double O Man Bun with your host Kevin yeah. King. Crossing Goldeneye uh, with Kevin Ooh. Kincaid. Remote minds in the facility. Uh, Steve says, "What's what's what's your dog's name?" I will name him Baxter. Baxter. Steve says, "What's your favorite Prodigy song?" 
Uh, yeah, Keith Flint from The Prodigy died, man. Uh, the lead singer who, he didn't write the music, but he was like their dancer and vocalist, one of the two of them. Um, passed away at age 49. Uh, my favorite Prodigy song is probably Worlds on Fire, but I, I played the shit out of the Fat of the Land CD back in like 1997. Were you a Prodigy? F- You're a little bit younger than me. Were you a Prodigy fan? Uh, you know what? I, I would say that I was probably a fan of... Uh the song warriors dance yes yeah that was a good one i have no idea what the song is i literally just googled prodigy band top oh songs did you right now one of them, okay so, so you're yeah. full of shit is what you're saying yeah. um I, I am yeah prodigy was big man back in the day because if, if you're like if you're more not russ's age but if you're my age if you're like mid 30s or early 30s or whatever like prodigy got a ton of airplay on mtv back in the day during the like the corn and limp biscuit and backstreet boys and in sync um mm. era where, where it wasn't like electronic music was was popular back then but it wasn't like mainstream i think the the most electronic shit that people had heard in mainstream pop culture was probably like i don't know like nine inch nails maybe um you know aphex twin i guess people knew about back then but it was this was like long before calvin harris and skrillex and dead mouse and shit like that where for a lot of people listen to like alternative and grunge or you listen to like y100 and you listen to like green day and the offspring and stuff like that like the prodigy was mixed in with that so that was like your introduction to um, electronic dance music for a lot of people so rest in peace uh keith flynn mm-hmm. um okay let's get through the rest of these uh does sergio santos get a look with the eagles at safety after that open field hit he dished out with some Brian Dawkins looking stuff there, it was, uh, it was clean. It would have been a clean football hit too. Um, broad shoulders, broad shoulders looks yeah. good. David Bennett says if the Union win the cup the same year the other four major Philly uh, sports teams shit the bed, would the Union still be last in popularity among them? How would you rank it? Oh, that's an interesting question. So if the Sixers, the Eagles, the Phillies, and the Flyers were all dog shit, and the Union were really good, would anybody care about the Union? Um, yeah. I guess. I think it would really depend on if they have a marketable star. Yeah, because right? you're like assuming if, if they're good, then people would be tuning in to watch an interesting player, you know? This is the problem with Jay Sugarman finally opening up the uh, checkbook and signing a guy to the uh, the biggest all-time fee, yeah. is that uh, the Phillies finally went out and actually signed somebody, too, and... Well, he only costs a little bit more money, but yeah. think you know, about you might have think about the it. record the record signing for the Union versus the record contract for the Phillies. What was Marco Fabian? Was he was he half a million? I think we're thinking that he's making a little bit more than two million this year. So then Bryce Harper's making. Well, he's only making ten million this year, but his AAV for that only. contract would be what's three thirty oh, divided by thirteen? Twenty some fucking million dollars a year. It's That's close. Um, Jimbo says Bedoya should have been on Good the man. right side to help strengthen Gaddis's inability to properly play wingback. Uh, who can play a Medunian in spot? Is this a summer transfer target? Will we be able to finish in the attacking third ever? Uh, why didn't Curtin pull a pet key after that referee's debacle? Uh, God, I don't know. Jim's just always been a guy who's like, look, the refs are the refs. Like, it's, it is what it is. We're just going to have to live with it, you know? Um, Maybe if he throws a tantrum every so often, it makes people think like he cares or he's more passionate. He doesn't want to lose his job, but he's Dave Haxtall. I mean that in the nicest way. It's just like it seems like he's he's one of these guys who feels like he needs to like give his team the the cool headedness by displaying it himself. And sometimes it would just be you know a little bit more sensible. He's a ginger, yeah. right? Like show a little bit of fire, man. Like let your hair on fire. 
It'd be fine. It's okay. Show a little emotion. Like it's there's nothing wrong with it. I don't know. I don't know why there's a, a, a there's a certain stoicism that it feels like he he feels this need to maintain. And at some point, it's like, dude, you know, if this team doesn't get off to a good start, like I, I have to think that Ernst Tanner is going to yeah. have somebody in the wings. And to answer that question about the transfer yeah. window, like I don't think Ernst is going to sit on his hands. No, I don't think. Like so I think either. for for better or worse, like I think that uh, Sugarman coming out and being honest about the amount of money that he um, invests in the team and and talked about like where that money has been going, and the fact that Ernst kind of told him you need better investment, like a better return on your investment from the academy and from Steel. Yeah. If you're going to throw so much money at the academy, like to me that tells me that he's got Sugarman's ear in a way that Ernie never was able to. And so, like, if Ernst goes to him and says, like, look, I think we can pop this thing apart, but we actually need a legit six. Yeah. Then Sugarman's going to say, like, all right, like, within reason here, like, take take this small bit of money and see if you can make it work. And, like, I think, look, if, if Wagner was a third division guy in Germany yeah. and he ends up being a, a solid guy to go in and play left back, and I think, you know, the early returns were good on him, if you can go and find somebody in some obscure reach of, uh, of Europe and Ernst knows and has his network of scouts, then, like, cool. Like, let's Kai, let's get somebody in. I just don't see them sitting on their I mean, on it's only been one, one game, um, but Kai Wagner looks like more of a money ball signing than Ernie Stewart was ever able to make, you know, um, which is funny because yep. that was a term that we threw around a bunch back then. It was, it was finding value in the margins, and the German third division is certainly marginal, you know. So, all right, here's the problem, Russ. Um, because the podcast is so popular these days, Mm. Um, we have a lot of questions. I, I swear I can't I can't get to all of them because I like to keep it to like an hour and we're up to like 50-some minutes right now. Is it true that It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia is the only <laughs> Philadelphia Union yes, podcast? Uh, it's Always Soccer in Philadelphia is the only Union podcast besides the one that Sean and Joe do and besides the one that Greg and uh, uh, Mike do and besides all three points. And uh, besides all those other ones, this yeah. is the only uh, – the only. Uh, so I'm just going to fire through the rest of these, and we'll see if there's any common threads here. Uh, how short is Curtin's leash before he's gone? Um, Kevin Thomas says, since Hulk didn't have any questions the last time, he says, I went to Thailand to scout uh, Chatty McStinky Nuts from the Thai 6th Division uh, over <laughs> under him playing more minutes than Derek, Derek Jones. Uh, should the union change their name to the Isle of Misfit Toys? Uh, also, how many 90s night dollar hot dogs do we need to find a number six that can pass and defend? Uh, Connor says Ray Gaddis got exposed. How much do you miss Keegan already on a scale of 1 to 10? I would say 10. Uh, John says I was kayaking in Key Largo while the, you were dropping the ball. Uh, is the replay worth watching? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is worth watching for sure. I mean, I don't think it was horrible. Uh, Ryan, why did the union always come out strong and fall apart in your opinion? Um... I don't know. I think as the game goes on, you don't get that first goal. You kind of like regress to the norm and you kind of start to feel it. You know, especially at home, you feel like you're kind of uh, uh, more pressure on you to score right away. Um, bigger violation, Harris's player, Curtin's comments about him after the game. He was excellent. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, that was that was a bad, bad, bad mm. quote. He was asked, I, I want to say it was DeGeorge, I mm-hmm. think it was. That uh, that asked him for his thoughts on Harris in that game, and he said that on ball Harris was excellent. Well, you know, of course, on I mean, ball, on ball is maybe yeah. like ten minutes of the uh, is maybe like ten percent of the game. So, yep. <sighs> um, Eric says it just had that like Gabe Kapler kind of thing where it's like you don't want to be critical of your guys, you want to like maintain support for them publicly, yeah. and, and you hope as a fan yeah. that like behind closed doors he's saying like this wasn't good enough, but uh, 
We'll never know. Uh, Eric says, uh, your wife is expecting. Did I miss the announcement? Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, Man On says. Did you know that you're never going to sleep again and your life is never going to be the same? Wait, hang on. Man on says, how many more games does Elsinia start? Who starts in his place and should we all collectively take Jones out behind the barn and put him out of his misery? Yeah, I mean, the Derek Jones thing is just like, I don't know, attitude or something. Too much partying, too much uh, Snapchat or Instagram, whatever the fuck the kids do these days. Uh, another curtain question, how short is the leash? I don't know. I mean, they got now they got at Kansas City and at Atlanta. And then they got Columbus at home. What the hell did Columbus do this weekend? Let me Google MLSsoccer.com here. Columbus tied Red Bull at home. Okay, so that's not a, a gimme either. Um, well, nothing's really a gimme. But, I mean, I think if Jim goes 0-3 um, and they can't get anything at home against Columbus, I mean, I don't know. You know? I don't know what Ernst thinks of him. I really don't. I have no, I have no idea. But you know, he could, he could say, if Jay Sugarman says, "What the fuck is going on here?" He could say, "Well, I'm going to fire your coach. I'm going to bring in my guy." You know, that's the first layer. So that really is the thing, and nobody knows. Like nobody knows if he's got anybody lined up. And I mean, look, I, th- I think that at some point, if you're going to make the move, you've got to do it early, right? Like you don't want this to be a mid-season thing where you've now once again let the team get into a weird spot where like it looks like they're not going to contend. Right. Like I know that sometimes this team, you know, they're they're ultimately a, a tale of two halves kind of team. But if you get out to an own three start, own four start at some point, you've got to think of of like what what comes next. I know. You can't overhaul this roster all that much. Like the team kind of is what they're going to be. They still have good quality. It's not like they're an absolute disgrace or a total mess. It's not like they're starting 11 is something that should be like a bottom of the conference yeah, team. Yeah. Right. Like. Marco Fabian, like, I think once he gets acclimated to the system and, and to his surroundings and the players around him, I think they'll be good. Like I said earlier, like, I just think that right now the spacing is the biggest issue. Yeah, And then we got um, a lot of questions about that, too, like Harris is fitting here and whatever. But it's, it's just hard to say after after 90 minutes, you know. I mean, I want to see how they play it, and I want to see how they play it on the road, too. You yeah, know? I, they're, they're just trying to learn how to play with each other. Like, go back and watch the first, like, 15 minutes of the game, and it's like if if uh if Fabian and Ilsenia didn't practically run into each other about four times on balls that were in the air that neither of them apparently called the other one off on like that's one yeah. issue overlaps were really weird man like they were running these these overlaps that were just like too tight especially on the right side it was like i, I get the the need or the desire to like try to throw off and almost use a guy like a screen mm-hmm. but like they didn't do a good job of of utilizing width we knew that they were going to end up having a formation that was going to be kind of narrow but like mm-hmm everything was just kind of mistimed. It just looks like a team that's still trying to learn to play together. And that's fine. Like, I don't expect yeah. them to look like a, like a team that's been, you know, 90% rolled over from year to year. But like, I think once they get some of these timing things down and they are able to use the width of the pitch, like they should be okay. But I, I don't know what Jim's real ceiling is here as a, as a manager. I, I've just never really believed. I don't think he's going to be the guy who, if this team ever does, win a playoff series like I don't think he's going to be the guy to do it he might be a nice assistant coach he might be a good you know conduit to the Philadelphia yeah. fan base he, he gets what it's like to be a Philly guy but like I, I don't necessarily think he's a uh, a coach that you look back on and say like this is the greatest coach in, in union history you know I what I mean? you, like, he's not a tactical yeah. genius he's he's a good guy in the locker room the players like him like that's half the battle but 
ultimately, if you can't make any adjustments and it's like we get back into the, hey, it's the 70th minute. Now it's time for Jim Curtin's first substitution brought to you yeah. by Beambo Breads, packed with by love. Sarah Lee like, Artisano, uh, whatever the hell the, that thing is. Uh, I feel so bad for JP every time he's got to like read one of those ads. Yeah. It's like, can they just get a better sponsor? Could they please? Just anybody. Literally Beambo, anybody. Uh, Dickie Moe says, can anyone really blame Harris for sucking at the six when he is not a six and never will be? Um, and Groves says, as an out-of-market fan uh, without access to 6ABC, would it be worth it to get an ESPN Plus subscription to watch Union games? It's worth it to get an ESPN Plus subscription for everything. Um, you watch Serie A on there. You can watch UFC on there. There's just, I mean, there's a, they just have so much on there now. It's just, it's justified if you're a sports fan in general because there's just so much on there. Dude, you know what sucked is uh, YouTube TV. So my, my wife was home with the kids during the game, and I said, oh, turn on ABC. I don't know what the deal is with YouTube TV and 6ABC, but the game was blacked out. Well, yeah, because there's and no that in, goes, I guess there's no in-market streaming option. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's it, because that was blacked out, and the Mummer's Parade was blacked out. Anyway, that one nobody gives a shit about, about the Mummer's Parade, right? Um, okay, um, lastly, before we wrap it up here, I wanted to shout out uh, everybody at Starfinder Foundation for the um, Cocktails with a Kick um, gala event last week i played in the charity game uh did okay did did fine i didn't uh injure anything i didn't fluff anything i missed a i hit a shot over the crossbar that latu put on a platter for me but uh would have been a nice goal on a regular size goal but um yeah it was a great event it's great to take part in that they hit their um their fundraising goal uh it's great to see Heidi Warren, uh George, podcast listener George and donor George uh, was there. Uh, Alex was there, Chad I met. Um just a great event. It was fun to be part of that. I saw Zach Pfeffer there, Sebastian was playing, um with us. Jeremiah White was there, Morgan Langley was there. Nice to catch up with some folks. Try to get them on the podcast too, um coming up soon. But yeah, it was just a great event. Cool to play in a charity game. Uh got some nice uh photos from uh courtesy of Matt Ralph. Uh, the brotherly game so it's a fun event and uh, i'd love to do something like that again and we will maybe we there have been some talks about doing a live uh, always soccer in philadelphia at some point obviously because my life's going to be over when the baby comes i'm not going to be able to do anything that might not happen this summer but um uh, give us some feedback if you're interested in, in coming to a live version of this uh, podcast um, let me know where you live and where you would uh, be how far you'd be willing to travel or where you'd like to go i'm just kind of gauging interest on that before we do anything how have you not synced this up yet with the sons of ben uh sons of ben lot beautiful pre-game no, I show know, but i don't want to drag all burgers this shit beer down there you know but the thing too with doing like a pre-game podcast is like what the what the fuck then we talk we preview the game that everybody's gonna watch and then they listen to the podcast afterwards and we talk about the game that they're listening to the game preview of the game they just watched no, you know what? I, I don't even think you do it like that. I think you just get on a couple of people from the Sons of Ben to explain why they still have the same six songs. <laughs> I think that would you be, set me that, up I think for that'd that be great. shit, man. You just set me up for sorry, that. Sorry, man. That's all right. I'm just, that's I'm all really right. sorry. Dude, I, I got to say, Sons of Ben, uh, uh, it's so disappointing. I'm going to be honest. I, they're burned I, I held out. They're burned tickets. out, dude, man. They don't I want, did, would you want to cheer for look, that shit? I, mean, I think I paid my dues last year. I don't think I, I re-upped this year. I just find the whole thing a little bit exhausting because it's like anytime you would bring up like, can we start a new chant? Like, here are a few song ideas. Here are a few chant ideas. Like, can we do a couple of these? It was always like, oh, no, we're going to just keep like rolling with the hits. Let's get back to the Eagles. Uh, and it's like the hits. at some point it's it's like, don't 
it's it's like the same six. Like, no wonder people don't want to sing. No wonder people don't want to go down and cheer. Like, it's it really is the same thing. The the team was better when Fareed Mondragon was was here because he had he had his own uh, beautiful chant and I loved it and it was about a certain part of him and it was a great chant and I loved it. I loved Connor Casey. I loved the Stone Cold Steve Austin references. But like, I just don't get it. it like, look, ultimately when the team is playing well and the Sons of Ben are loud and they get the whole stadium into it, then it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's great. One thing goes wrong, and I mean, the Sons of Ben are like, a pro- they are like the best microcosm of the Philadelphia sports, you know, fan base. One bad thing goes wrong, and it the whole thing just goes silent. Like, the place goes totally dead. Well, because they're used their to job as a supporter and section, know coming, you know, it's like... And, I don't get, like, like, I don't care. If you're going to go onto Twitter and, like, boast about being a capo in the Sons of Ben, then here's an idea. Get the Sons of Ben up, get them going, get the rest of the stadium in, and get your team back in in the game. You don't see that abroad. You don't see supporter sections, even within MLS, that are at the top of their game doing the same thing. Do you really think that Seattle or Portland are, are going silent when one thing goes wrong for their team? No, of course not. Now, granted, they have higher numbers. There's no debating that. But, like, get out and actually, like, get the team back in the game. Give that home field advantage, you know? I mean, it's... It's been noted on how many occasions, like Freakonomics did a whole thing on it with their sports series. Like the the bias that inherently happens with an official is is mostly because not because like the ref is looking to make calls that benefit the uh, home team. It's the crowd really does impact the way that a ref does their job. So make their job harder or easier. Support your team. Get them back into the game. I, I don't know. I just don't get it. I've always found it to be disappointing i got cursed out by the sons of ben before by a capo because i said that i thought it was pathetic that we were getting out out chanted out screened out sung by uh the red bull supporter in a uh u.s open cup game they had like 50 people over in their little section and they were louder and better organized and that i you know what i i think i just went out in a bad way with the sons of ben but you know whatever Hopefully they come back around. It'd be great. All right. Well, Russ, uh, Russ. Has Sorry, been, man. No, I, I, I just, hey, man, this is a, uh, this is a podcast for everybody to tell it how it is. You know, I don't, I don't put any filter, any restrictions on what's said on here. It's always soccer in Philadelphia, whether you want to, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll end on a laugh. How about that? We'll end on a, on a All corny right. joke by me. But yeah, episode 72, we're getting to number 75, I think. Uh, we've done a special kind of thing every 25 episodes, so we'll see if I can th- figure something out before my life is over when the kid comes. But for now, <laughs> thanks for listening. Appreciate it. <laughs>